1: Hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests, amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Before we dive into this episode, I want to remind you that you can learn more about all previous episodes, including the work that we do in our blogs, on our store, in our book, through our speaking videos, everything else, at Inspires.com. Again, that site, if you've never been there, check it out today. It's Inspires.com. You know, sometimes the universe puts things in perfect harmony to bring a guest into our lives and through that now into your lives. I have a son at home named Patrick. Patrick O'Leary, it's a great Irish name, is passionate about recycling. If I have the uh, great misfortune of throwing an aluminum can in the trash can, I hear about that for a long time from my little man, Patrick, who takes it out of the trash and immediately moves it toward the recycling bin. He's passionate about the earth. In conjunction with that, it's entering now Fashion Week, Fashion Week not only in the United States, but really Fashion Month around the world. And then in line with this, I received a note from a follower named Sandy. She's a listener here. She told me to watch this video about a guy named Daniel. I watched the video. I shared it with my office. Now we have this passionate group at Live Inspired who want to know everything they possibly can about today's guest. His name is Daniel Silverstein. He is a terrific example of not only identifying what's wrong in the world, which I think so many of us are expert at, but also owning our peace and being a solution. It's a terrific story. I invite you right now to buckle up, to uh, grab your notebooks, open up your minds and your hearts as I get to introduce you to our new friend, a guy that I look up to. His name is Daniel Silverstein. Daniel, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
2: Thank you so much, John. How's it going?
1: Man, it is going awesome, and it's going even better now that you are on our podcast. We're delighted to have you on. For those who do not yet know about Daniel and the work that you're doing, tell us a little bit more about uh, about your efforts today.
2: Um, yeah, sure. So I started my company, Zero Waste Daniel, about two years ago, um, and I started it based on this idea that on every single piece of clothing that everyone wears a factory made that somewhere and that factory had to cut out a sheet of fabric to make that piece of clothing and all the leftovers that they didn't use typically end up in a landfill and when i became aware of this problem i started working towards a solution so we could all have clothes that are a little less wasteful. Um, and through that process, I learned a lot about labor and, and different practices around the world that are being used to produce these clothes. And I, I have a lot of opinions about that as well.
1: <laughs> well, man, it's, it's these opinions. It's the problem that I was completely unaware of. It's your heart behind it, your passion for it, the solution to it. And by the way, this this podcast will focus a little bit on fashion, kind of. But, man, it's really focusing on life, on problems, on solutions, and our role, each of us, in being the change agent we seek to see around us. So, Daniel, you're an awesome example. Let's, instead of focusing on what you're doing today, let's back it all the way up to your childhood. Uh, I would imagine a whole lot of our followers know very little about your story. So tell me where you're from and, and what childhood was like for you.
2: Yeah, Um I am originally from a small suburb of Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, I have an older sister and two amazing parents and grew up really close to my cousins, my grandparents. And um, I was a pretty active kid. I had a pretty wild imagination and was always making things with my hands and loud, big personality. And um, I sort of, uh, enjoyed my childhood. I got to experiment a lot, and I was very fortunate to have parents who really encouraged me to do that. Um, so my, my family saw from a young age that I was maybe um, artistically inclined mm-hmm. or in the 90s, what you might have called borderline uh, attention deficit. Yes. So um, I was able to channel that into a lot of creative stuff as a kid.
1: Tell me about some of the creativity. What, what kind of stuff uh, w- were you uh, getting into as a little kid in writing PA?
2: Um, so I started expressing an interest in fashion from a really young age. Um, when I was a little kid, there's sort of a famous story in my family about uh, my parents coming home from wherever they were. And I had taken all of the tape in my dad's office and all <laughs> of the tissues around the house and made clothes for all of the barbies that my sister owned. <laughs> And my mom was furious with me. You can't use everything. You can't take all that stuff. And so I was, oh, I'm sorry, mommy. You know, and, uh, and you know, about a week later, they came home and I had used an entire roll of tinfoil and made a whole underwater scene yes. for all the Barbies again. Mermaid outfits and crowns and all these different things. Um, and it became pretty clear to my mom that I needed some fabric yes. to play with. So, um, bless my mother, uh, she's an incredible, incredible woman, and uh, though she hates to drive and uh, doesn't like to go out of her comfort zone, she looked up in the Yellow Pages a fabric store that she could take me to, Um, because, again, this was the 90s, and there was no uh, Google Maps. So uh, she drove me about 45 minutes to this little Mennonite fabric store and told me that uh, she had called them and she knew that they had a whole big steel barrel of fabric scraps uh, from making their own clothing. And I could buy a paper bag for a dollar and I could fill it with any scraps Mm. that I wanted and I could go nuts. And she she was always someone who was really encouraging, but also made me sort of pave my own way. So I remember, like it was yesterday, she gave me the dollar, and I had to go pay for it. I had to pick things out. And when I asked her, you know, can I get this? She said, this is your toy. You, you got to pick out what you want to
1: play with. Um, Daniel, how, how so, old were you at this age?
2: I was probably about five. Oh, my gosh. Do
1: you remember this? Uh, <laughs> do you remember shopping, the, the shopping spree for a dollar?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember begging her to take me back many
1: times.
2: <laughs> so... Um, that became my pretty pretty standard routine for a little while. Um, and eventually, you know, my sister's Barbies became my Barbies. And my little routine of cobbling things together became my first home workshop.
1: You know, you, what you've uh, taken a fancy to, this passion for design is not always appreciated and not always supported candidly in our community. I'm 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 curious were there others whether it's in your family, friends from school, what a sister maybe, you're stealing her Barbie dolls that was <laughs> completely against you you uh moving forward in this in this line of work.
2: Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I think as a little kid I faced a lot of adversity. Um from the outside, um it was very unusual. Project Runway hadn't happened yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> Um, I think I had a lot of um, interests and mannerisms that really set me apart from a lot of my young peers. I was definitely an outsider um, in this rural town in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, what was so interesting to me and has been a trend throughout my life is that although sometimes kids can be really, really mean, and um, it, it was hard at times to find a place where I felt like I fit in, I always got a lot of encouragement from their moms. Um, And so uh, I, I found myself throughout my life with many incredible mother figures who have helped encourage me when I felt like I couldn't, you know, make sense of why I was so drawn to design, why I wanted to work with these materials and why I was a little different from everyone else.
1: Daniel, I, I always love examples, and I think our community does as well, not only of great parents and great designers, great people, but of, of the ordinary heroes. You know, because I think that's a role each one of us can, can imagine living out ourselves. Yeah. It, g- give me one story of, um, of maybe one of these mother figures, not named your mom, who made a difference for you.
2: Yeah, there's actually a really great story. Um, and I didn't know it until I was much older, um, but I'm very, very grateful to this woman. So, um, there's a woman, um, by the name of Kathy Pulitzer, her daughter Kaylin and I were in, I think preschool together. Mm -hmm. And I was already very interested in drawing and clothing and design and all of this stuff. And, uh, I had been playing with Kaelin one day and we were having so much fun playing dress up. Uh, One of the many things that set me apart from the other boys Mm -hmm. in my school. And I guess while we were playing, our moms were talking and my mother um, told me that uh, Kaylin's mom said, what are you doing with him out here? Why do you live here? And uh, it sort of switched something in my mom's mind that, she had to get me closer to the city and and get me near an epicenter of design where my young interests could be appreciated. Um, And so I've always been very grateful for that experience and also for my my parents for listening so intently to it. Um, My father is an incredible entrepreneur and self-made man, and it's been very, very heartwarming that uh, in his efforts to grow his own business, um, he relocated our family to New Jersey when I was about 10 years old so that I could have access to New York City.
1: They made that move so you would have access to, to uh, New York?
2: Um, so he was making a big professional move for himself um, and going out on his own as an entrepreneur. And although he had a couple of different opportunities, he picked the one that would awesome. also benefit me.
1: So, I mean, this thing clearly does benefit you. Why don't we fast forward just a little bit to uh, your first real job in this career that you're going to be moving fully into?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, So, I I did many internships in design, um, and I got to work with some really incredible designers. um, And I won't name drop, but it was pretty cool. Um, (laughs) Oh, please,
1: please. Why don't you drop a a few of these names?
2: Um, I got to work with designers like Carolina Herrera and Carmen Marc Valvo. And if you're into fashion, like some pretty big names and really awesome models. And it was it was fun to watch. Um, but as I did all of that, I started noticing this trend of waste um, and growing up in Pennsylvania and having just, you know, Responsible family, we recycled and we were conservative about water. And just, you know, I watched Captain Planet when I was mm-hmm. a kid. <laughs> um, all of these things started triggering stuff in my mind. Um, and so when I got to my first real job, which was working for um, a big uh, catalog business um, and designing sweaters that were being produced in China, and uh, they were pretty much all designer knockoffs. Um, When I got to that job, uh, I actually got to sit in on a meeting where we got to talk about cost. Um, And when we talked about cost, I realized through this meeting that we were also accounting for the cost of fabric that we were throwing away, and that really flipped a switch for me. Um, So our customers were paying extra for fabric that we were having milled, knitted, dyed, cut and then thrown away Mm -hmm. and you know at first that bothered me just because it seems like a broken system and then when I stepped back from it you know one step further and I realized that this wasn't just a broken system this was a catastrophic amount of waste. Um, I remember politely excusing myself from the meeting and going and crying in the bathroom because I felt like I had done something really wrong and I had contributed to to something that I I felt really
1: guilty about. You you used a pretty big word, catastrophic. And uh, I'm I'm imagining one of these places where this is all manufactured and put together. And to me, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of waste. But as I read and did a little bit of research before this interview, it is catastrophic. Tell our listeners and remind me about how catastrophic and and just how massive the amount of waste is.
2: Uh, There are over 14 million tons of textile waste. Um, both pre- and post-consumer, so after people have worn things or used things like towels and bedding, um, but also pre-production or or pre-consumer, like these offcuts that come off of every single piece of clothing that we wear. Um, So there's over 14 million tons of this stuff in the United States alone every year. Um, And it's both a volume issue of you know, where do we put all of this waste? And so much of it is synthetic um, that wherever we put it, it's going to stay for a really long time. And also an issue of opportunity. Um, We're, you know, reaping crops and resources from the earth and then not using all of them and just sort of displacing them. You know, we're moving stuff around really. Um, And, and so we're missing an opportunity to do a lot of work with things that, you know, we're harvesting from the earth and that are not uh, endless resources. We have finite amount of everything. Um, so it's, it's a double-edged
1: sword. You, you, you have your good cry. You come back into the meeting. You come back into life. And yeah. th- the reality is, Daniel, I, I think each of us see things that are broken. You're passionate about fashion. I'm passionate about other things in life. And I see a whole lot of things that are broken. I have my cry. And then I, I, I go about my day. You go about yeah. your day, but you decide to make change, man. You decide to, to begin a new journey. Kind of walk me through that inflection point and in what you do next.
2: Well, you know, I grew up with um, a lot of support from my family, like, like I mentioned. Um, and when I say support, you know, my parents have both um, been lovely and put me through school to study design. But also, you know, it's not always necessarily about here's the money to go do what you want to do. It's about feeling encouraged. Um, but at the same time, th- there comes a point in everyone's life where you have to decide to do things for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I grew up with you know, support to be a designer, but really all my parents ever wanted for, for me was that I could stand on my own two feet, have a job and, you know, be independent. Um, and what I wanted for myself was to make a change. And I always felt like I wouldn't be succeeding unless I left this industry, this job, this business, whatever I'm working on, a little bit better than I found it. Um, And once I backed all the way out of all of the things I love, and I realized they're all here on earth. And the real issue is that whatever I'm working on, we have to leave the earth a little bit better than we found it. Um, That's sort of where I I found my main inspiration. Um, And... Working in design, um, it kind of circled around for me to this idea that ultimately, if I went to a really good design school, and I had a good job, and I got great training with all these incredible designers, and everyone was having the same issue of throwing all of this stuff out, someone had to do something about it. And I think that after I had that good cry, and I really was upset by this issue, I realized I could be upset about it, mm-hmm. or I could try and do something about it. And so I started my company.
1: My understanding is you made a great-looking T-shirt. You threw it on. You took a picture, a little selfie. You described briefly where this T-shirt came from, and it almost went viral. As People said, oh, my gosh, it's so good-looking. Tell me more about it. And you realized, huh, huh, maybe maybe there's a huge opportunity in this.
2: Yes. That is all incredibly true, but actually it's a longer and a lot more difficult story than that, Um, (laughs) and I'll try and keep it brief, but I had this major realization in my good cry in 2010, and it's 2017, so clearly a lot has happened between now Right,
1: more than one t-shirt was manufactured.
2: So what I originally set out to do was create a line of zero-waste cocktail and evening dresses, because... I grew up thinking that I wanted to be this fancy New York designer, and what I learned over the first five years of trying to break into the fashion industry was that it was more than just the production and the waste issue that was really broken. It was the whole system. So I tried to square peg myself into this round hole of fashion, which means going to the right trade shows, getting into the right stores, working with the right... PR agencies and influencers and all of these things. And as I learned more and more and more about how you break into this business, I learned more and more about how this business is dying. Um, the production that used to happen in New York City in the Garment Center is barely there anymore. Mm-hmm. The value of the labor and the craftsmanship that you're supposed to learn in design school and that many people around the world do as an art form and a craft is totally lost amongst consumers, and there were so many issues surrounding good design that you couldn't just have a beautiful dress or a beautiful shirt or a well-tailored suit. You needed to educate your consumer on every single aspect of the business before they would be willing to buy into the mission, and that seemed like a, a huge barrier to entry for me. So I tried for a couple of years. I, I even, I was on a reality competition show. I was on season two of fashion star on NBC
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and all of these different things, you know, everything was almost a false start for me. Um, and I struggled for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first five of them, I could barely break even. Um, I was really selling clothes and I was really having celebrities wear my designs, but I couldn't make any money. Mm-hmm. And, Although the designs were cool, nobody cared about the waste issue. I've been doing zero-waste clothing for almost eight years, and until I had my own aha moment of making clothing that I could wear and that I could afford, nothing changed.
1: And from my understanding, it's not only that you could afford it, it's that uh, people could afford to live with that. Is that as well? So it's, it's, it's providing the living wage to the lady the gentleman the family that provided this material
2: yeah exactly so after about five years of trying to run this high-end cocktail and evening wear business that really like who needs a zero waste evening gown maybe once in their life yes (laughs) so i i decided to sort of pack it all up and and move on and find a new direction for myself but I felt so compelled by this concept. You know, I couldn't work in the industry and do something typical or traditional. Uh, How was I gonna be a designer and contribute to the waste issue and feel good about myself? So I just sort of took a minute to reset and I was spending sort of a lazy afternoon packing up my studio and I had collected all of these fabric scraps from swatches or offcuts or all these different things that I wanted to save and not throw away. Because mm-hmm. They were still good materials. Um, and, and on this particular day, I was just really feeling crappy about myself um, and feeling like I was a total failure. So I, in that spirit, I started just marching this big bag to a dumpster, thinking, I'm just going to throw this stuff out. Who cares? Like Zero waste, Daniel, doesn't matter. Mm. And uh, I, I couldn't do it. I I just couldn't throw the stuff out. I thought it was antithetical to my whole mission. So I threw it on the floor instead and the bag sort of popped open and I saw all of this really cool fabric that I hadn't seen in years because it was all the way at the bottom of the bag. And I thought, you know, I've got these sewing machines. I've got the afternoon free. Why don't I just make myself a shirt? And that's the moment where everything started clicking. It was when I made something that I could really make in an afternoon that was using something that was already out there that no one was using and that i could feel good about that i could enjoy that i could wear it wasn't some high price point piece that was going to um, be exclusionary to people or some crazy style that you had to have a perfect body to wear it was just a long sleeve black shirt and that was the moment where everything started coming together for me there was going to be a way to take Things that people were throwing away and discarding and turning them into something of value. And I started toying not just with the design of it, but also the business model. I knew that trying to go to all these same stores and making everything fit into this industry was not a way to have an impact for me. I had tried and failed for many years. And so I just started selling shirts to people one by one
0: first Mm -hmm. on my
2: website and social media. And then I started signing up for flea markets and I worked every weekend for almost two years selling shirts one at a time (laughs) to every single customer who came in. And in the meantime, during the week, making shirts to sell uh, until I couldn't keep up with my own demand. And, and, and that was, that was when things started really changing for me.
1: Your, your, uh, your typical overnight success story. <laughs> yeah. Right? Eight years in the making, Yeah, eight years in the overnight <laughs> making, but, it, but it did happen. So it's been eight years. T- tell us now to give us a glance of where things are. Uh, what, what's your business look like today?
2: So, um, today I have a store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, in New York city. Um, which i call the make shop and basically what i've wanted to do and and my parents think it's so funny because it's not exactly what they thought it would look like but i've been talking about this for a long time now um but you know the make shop (laughs) is basically this idea of everything is handmade Mm. and everything is made on the spot and instead of having it be something where we don't know where our clothes are coming from we're not aware of the waste issue we don't know any of those things What we're actually doing is recreating our factory right in the store window. So when you walk by the make shop, you see all of the members of my team in the make side of the store, making all of the pieces that you can try on and buy in the shop side of the store. Uh, And what I really want to do is connect people. So you don't wonder why something is $55 or $100. You can see how long it takes someone to make something and appreciate the artistry that goes into it. And the actual store experience is designed to sort of replicate that childhood experience that I had at the fabric store. So we have all of our uh, fabrics in different bins that you can sift through and pick out your own scraps of fabric. We have paper bags that you can fill up with this scraps that you want if you want to customize a piece. And uh, you can sort of design your own zero waste piece in the make shop. So you can really connect to what this waste material is, how how precious it is, and how it's not trash.
1: Daniel, um, that is awesome. So you're telling me when I go in your store... I get a little dollar paper bag. I fill that baby up with the scraps that I want. I hand it to one of your seamstress, and uh, voila, after some efforts and, and art and passion, you create the, the shirt that I imagined?
2: That is one of the possibilities at the Make Shop. Um, we also have off-the-rack styles that people can yeah. shop from, and then we have an entire rack of just samples that you can try on. So if you want to customize a piece, you can try on every size, every design, every style, and then tell us. How you want it to be made. Um, Another big part of waste in fashion and in many industries is overproduction. We produce more things than we need just so that, you know, if someone comes in as a customer, we have all these options for them. And so what we do is we have all of the options, but then we produce what you ask for, Mm -hmm. not what we try and sell you.
1: You know, I, I know you're passionate about what you're doing. Is it also in part because you're passionate? about some of the sins or evils or wrongs that others are doing. Do, do, you, do you have issues with the way f- clothing is currently produced?
2: Yeah, I have, um, I have issues with consumerism. Hmm. <laughs> I, I am a little bit of like, uh, an oxymoron, I guess, in a way because I have two stores and I have two consumer products businesses, but I do don't like consumerism Um, and I think the big thing is that I like to focus on the idea of need versus want Mm. Um, and what do you need and what do you want and if you want something how do you get it at a low impact Um, I think one thing that a lot of people aren't fully aware of is how much things are being sold to them whether or not they need them and (laughs) when I started this business with this idea of not creating waste, not creating byproducts, and then treating everyone who creates this product fairly, um, a really incredible person came into my life um, who wanted to ask me about and talk about this mission that I was on. Uh, Her name is Lauren Singer and she's the blogger behind Trashes for Tossers. She lives an entirely zero waste life. So what I'm doing with byproducts in my clothing industry she's doing in her personal life by Mm -hmm. not creating any waste Um, and that really switched me on like maybe four years ago almost three and a half years ago to this idea that it wasn't just you know the clothing I was producing but it was the things I was buying at the grocery store and the popcorn at the movies and everywhere I looked there was stuff that I didn't need and that was being sent to landfills. Um, And so about six months ago, uh, eight months ago, we teamed up and created an entire zero-waste lifestyle store called Package Free that's also in in Brooklyn. And we sell my clothing there, but we also sell all of the tools that you need to reduce waste in your day-to-day life. So everything in our store is a multi-use alternative to its single-use plastic disposable counterpart. And we have things for your kitchen and your bedroom and your bathroom. And I think what I've found in the last year since since really reinventing Zero Waste Daniel and totally embracing the zero waste lifestyle is that the more authentically I lived and the more I drilled into this consumerism concept that I was so passionate about, the better everything started going. Yes. I felt healthier. I was saving money. I was more available for work. I was saying no to things that were being sent to landfills. And it it was just an incredible life-altering experience for me.
1: When you look forward, what what are your hopes and your dreams, not only for yourself, but for your businesses?
2: So one of the things that I'm most excited about is that these businesses seem to be inspiring change in people. So with my clothing company, I've heard from so many young designers recently that they want to incorporate zero waste or their own ethical production or their own passion for sustainable materials into their designs because of what we're doing or in partnership with what we're doing and so many larger designers who are looking to make changes in their industries we offer a resource for them so we don't just make our own shirts you can send us scraps from as a big designer and we'll make fabrics so that your designs can also be closed loop and zero waste and responsibly made. And I think, you know, with package free, what we're seeing is people inspired to make change in their personal lives and, and second, give a second thought to, do I need this? Do I want this? Is this good for me? Is it good for other people um, before they go ahead and support a business? Every single business that provides a product that we sell at package-free it's on a mission like zero waste, Daniel, um, my clothing company. So every single purchase through that store supports a larger mission, like reducing ocean plastics or mm-hmm. reducing child labor in the rubber industry. I mean, there are so many amazing things that people are doing and I love that these businesses are bringing them together.
1: Are you, as you turn on or maybe off the television as you look around New York and Brooklyn and beyond. Are you excited uh, with where things are trending, or are you just scared out of your mind and you realize you got to work even harder to push back against the tides of change?
2: You know, I think that every day is different. Um, Some days I feel really disheartened and very scared for our future, Um, but then something incredible will happen. And I feel inspired and and optimistic. I think that I personally am an optimist and I, I choose to live optimistically every single day. Um, you know, one of the, the sort of mottos that I live my life by is to always do your best, right? So your best isn't the same every single day. And, you know, on a day when you don't feel well, you can't do as well as you would on a day when you got a full eight hours of sleep and had a big breakfast. But Mm -hmm. if you just try your best, you have nothing to regret. And so even when I'm feeling less than optimistic, I just do my best to make good choices. And I feel okay. I feel okay about things. As I look around the city, I think that there is a chance to reach everyone. There is a chance to inspire change. And I think that if it comes from the consumers up and the businesses down, we'll all meet in the middle eventually.
1: Man, it is such a cool story. And uh, Sandy, listener, follower, friend, I'm so grateful that you sent the video of Daniel to us. And, uh, you know, Daniel, this time has been so moving. For the ladies and gentlemen in their cars, on the bus, at home, desk side, whatever it may be, tuning in right now saying, you know what? Good for Daniel, but I'm not into fashion, and I'm still not exactly sure what this has to do with me. Help them and help me understand, yes, it has everything to do with you. So help me understand what this message means beyond fashion.
2: Well, I think, first of all, that's an amazing question. And one of the things that I always remind everyone is that it's whether or not you're into fashion, everyone wears clothes. So this definitely is something that pertains to everybody. But I think that the bigger thing is that, you know, I grew up feeling encouraged and inspired to pursue a career in an industry that I cared about personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I got into as a professional, but it was a personal decision to step back after seeing a problem and say, this needs to change. And I think I could be a person to help make that change. And it doesn't matter if you're into neuroscience or rocks or, (laughs) you know, astronauts or whatever you're interested in, food, any industry has problems. Any any idea, any kernel of, of an idea of the way you can help someone has merit. And I think that the biggest thing that every person needs to do is ask themselves, why not me? Mm. Um, and I think on the day I asked, why not me, my whole life changed.
1: Brother, I wish we could drop the mic on that one. The, the bad news is we can't because we got to go through the Live Inspired 7. And as we progress through the final seven questions, Daniel, I hope it is registering and being recorded and uh, being reverberated in people's hearts and minds. Why not you? Why not you? It may not be fashion, but it can be in your own backyard. Why not you? It's a great uh, way to leave it. So the Live Inspired Seven are seven questions that every guest on our Live Inspired podcast have been asked and answered. And it always begins with question one. So, Daniel, what's the best book that you've ever read?
2: Oh, um, my mother gave me a book. So I, I studied fashion design, um, and I have no business owning a business. But I, I like to say I have an MBA from the School of Hard Knocks. Yes, Um so and I. And uh, I keep this book on my bedside table. My mother gave it to me. It is called The Big Book of Small Business, and it has helped me put out many a
1: fire. So I highly <laughs> right.
2: recommend it to any aspiring entrepreneur.
1: Awesome. The Big Book of Small Business. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle, maybe in Reading, has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth?
2: Wow, it's a great question. Um, I think that one of the things that I've always really wanted to do is um, inspire and and help other people. And so I think, um, you know, With that kind of uh, opportunity, I would definitely involve myself in some philanthropy and some venture capitalist opportunities to help grow other businesses that want to
1: make change. Perfect. If your house, or I would imagine uh, in New York City, maybe your apartment, if your place of residence caught fire and all living things and all living people are out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what would you grab?
2: You know, I have a couple of things that I think are really important to me, but it's just stuff. But if I could save one thing, um, I'd probably save one of my grandmother's paintings.
1: Tell me about your grandma.
2: Well, she's a huge inspiration in my artistic life. Um, She is an artist herself. uh, And when she was about 60, um, she survived breast cancer. And she had her own... You know why not me moment um, she had spent her career as a fourth grade school teacher and she decided at that point in her life where her family was growing and her kids were healthy and she had a little bit of time why not her become an artist um, so she taught herself and learned uh from from a great teacher how to paint um later in her life mm. and Uh, She's created hundreds of beautiful works of art that are all across houses, all across the country, and uh, she's a huge inspiration for me.
1: That's awesome. I'm glad you shared. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to have that visit with?
2: I think one of the people who I've always really wanted to meet is um, Cristobal Balenciaga, He's a... I mean, amazing French fashion designer. Um, and one of the ones who was the most um, interested in, in crafting new shapes and silhouettes and, I, and sort of thinking outside of the human form. Um, and I, I know very little uh, uh, about his personal life
0: versus mm-hmm.
1: the
2: work that he did. And, and I think it would be an interesting conversation.
1: Mm. What's the best advice that you've ever received?
2: (sighs) The best advice? Um, The harder you work, the luckier you get.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That ought to be a bumper sticker. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Or maybe you can put that on the next T-shirt you crank out later on this afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. What what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Just keep going. The final question I have for you, Daniel, is it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read?
2: I think I'd like my sentence to read. And uh, my sister is a copy editor, so she can fix the grammar later. (laughs) But um, I'd like it to read something to the effect of he was a, a kind, honest, and genuine person who always did his best.
1: Well, Brother Daniel Silverstein, you, uh, you saw this problem for what it is, and you saw the opportunity within your own life to help to help become a small solution to it. You've asked the question, why not me? You've answered it boldly, and I think piece by piece, fabric by fabric, life by life, you are starting to change the world. And I have been so honored to have you on our Live Inspired podcast to share your story with the rest of us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's really such an honor to get to talk to you, and and I'm so inspired by everything you've done, and thank you for for taking the time to chat with
1: me. Well, man, your your grandmother may have painted some outstanding uh, pieces of work, but I think you are painting an outstanding fabric of life. So keep painting, keep sewing, keep making a difference, and and stay on fire. Thanks so much. My friends, that was Daniel Silverstein. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I told you that this was going to be an emotional conversation. I told you it was going to be one that you may need a seatbelt for. And I told you it was one that was brought together perfectly by the universe, by uh, I I think divine ordination that, that my little buddy loves to recycle, Patrick. It is the midst of fashion week and fashion month around the country and around the world. And then one of our followers decided to send us this video of Daniel doing the work that he does with the passion with which he does it, creating, I think, works of art. It's a fascinating story from a fascinating guy who has authentically become clear on who he is, what ultimately matters, and his ability to influence his part of the world for good. It's a story of fashion. But I think today it's clear that it has much more to do than just fashion. It has to do with problems, with opportunities, and our ability in our lives to be the change we seek. To ask the self, ourselves the question, why not me? Why not now? Why not today? I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I loved bringing it to you. You are part of a movement of more than 600,000 Listeners, people tuning in on purpose, downloading these podcasts globally. It's a global movement, uh, a movement selling good, not bad, a movement reminding us how it's possible in our lives to wake up from accidental living to live inspired. Tell your friends, share it on social media, tell the ladies and gentlemen you work with that in spite of some challenges, there's a ray of hope peeping through and to check out com. Thanks for listening live to the Live Inspired podcast with me, John O'Leary. Thanks for sharing with a community that I think is starred for bits of good news for this time. And until next time, why not you? Why not you? My friends, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.